the Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hello, all. Welcome back to Season 2 of the Application Security Podcast. On this week's episode, we talk to Eric Johnson about static analysis, pen testing, continuous integration, and much more. As always, thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, friends. This is Robert Hurlbut, and today I am joined with Eric Johnson, who is a uh, software security consultant who is joining us. And Eric, would you please introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me aboard today. Uh, this will be a fun conversation. I uh, I have a passion for static analysis inherently. Uh, I started out in the in the development world uh, right out of college. Just happened my first job was with a financial institution here in the U.S. and wrote internet facing code. You know, at the age of what twenty two, where really security at that time and, and from what I've heard is still not actively being discussed in your standard computer science classes. So, you know, out of the gate, I'm sure we were introducing tons and tons of security issues along the way. And as I went through a, an InfoSec program, it kind of brought to light a lot of these application security issues that are, you know, heavily discussed in a lot of the OWASP projects and things of that nature now and kind of transitioned from my development space over to AppSec, we started writing a lot of core, you know, kind of we'll call them like high risk code sort of libraries that centralized our, our authentication, authorization, you know, session management, validation, things of that nature. And over time, as, as I'm sure, Robert, you're familiar with, you kind of stop writing as much code when you get too close to those things. And we started running, you know, commercial static tools against our code bases, doing audits, dispositioning results, fine-tuning rules. And I did that for about 10 years or so before I decided to kind of branch out and and go do these same sorts of things with, uh, you know, small to medium-sized businesses, uh, also get into pen testing and, and mobile testing and things like that along the way. So it's been a fun journey up to this point and uh, definitely no end of, uh, of opportunities to keep learning stuff, which is the funnest part. Absolutely. So you told me a little bit about your story, and we usually start with a superhero story. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got interested in security in particular. I, I think you, if I remember, you mentioned you did some development, or you told us you've done some development. What was it about security that attracted you? You know, I think it was that aura of, oh, man, you, you've got these special powers where you can go, you know, break into some website or, you know, make this software do something that maybe we did not really intend for it to do. So I think it was always that draw of, of really just wanting to understand, you know, how these things were happening and, and why we were able to make those things work. So it, it kind of all lended itself towards me just being curious by nature as to how these things kind of happen. And, and of course, at that point, you want to know how to fix it at the same time. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So when you're trying to figure out things, you're tearing them down, you're breaking them apart, try to figure out how they work as well? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it helps. Yeah. We always kind of say it. Most of the people that work with us or for us, you know, if you can't write code, it's really hard to, to understand both the red team and the blue team side of things. So, so most of the folks that we talk to all do come from a development background, which, which is really weird in the infosec world. I think there's probably only about 5% of us infosec pros that actually came out of a, a more dev focused organization. So it's, it, we're kind of rare breeds, I guess I'll say. Right. Well, it does help. I agree. I, in my own career, my own experience, I've really enjoyed the background that I've had in development and pushing into security and, and understanding uh, both sides. And, and it helps me to communicate also with developers as well. And if I understand correctly, you also do some training of developers in those areas as well for developer security. I do. Yeah, I've been with the Sands Institute uh, as a as an instructor since about 2012. A, a former colleague of mine, James Jardine, who I think you're pretty familiar with. I think were they on your podcast here a, a couple weeks ago? I think I saw. I they may be. Uh, I have not seen all of our season two yet, but I, I believe that's right. Yeah, so James and I both uh, kind of had a heavy hand in a lot of .NET security work uh, with an organization and. At the time, James was was authoring and maintaining and teaching their Secure.NET uh, course. It's basically developing defensible applications. So he kind of uh, brought me in and 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 kind of uh, got me started in the teaching realm. And and what I found is, as you said, it, I actually really enjoy it. It's uh, it's refreshing to hear about you know just the struggles that regular software engineers go through as they try to adapt and integrate security into their everyday work and you know a lot of these folks get this bad rap or we're out there creating these you know insecure applications but it's just truly the demand on them is on features and speed and making businesses money so it's really hard to justify security in a lot of these situations so it kind of keeps my perspective fresh so I don't turn into one of those angry infosec folks that just likes to point their finger and kind of yell at people type of thing. Sure. So when you're training developers, what are the the typical things that uh, come up uh, in terms of questions or in terms of things that they're trying to figure out? What what do you see uh, typically? You know, a lot of it is just kind of understanding why we should care uh, is I feel like a lot of the challenge. I think I spend the whole first day of this class just talking about, look, here's the attacks. Here's this hostile production environment your applications live in. Whether you want to believe it or not, there are people that are out there always poking and prodding at your applications. It's kind of building that mindset that, you know, we actually do have important things to defend and giving them that, uh, we kind of do some very light pen testing just so they can understand how easy some of this stuff is to accomplish. And then that tends to kind of say, oh, man, yeah, we better actually get better at this or, or we're going to be in trouble. Right. Excellent. So some other things I know that you've been involved in are static analysis, continuous integration. So tell me a little bit about that. First of all, you know, what is continuous integration? You know, CI, it's kind of an open-ended term, in my opinion. It's, it's really this ability to integrate all of these tools that, if you think 10 years ago, we all ran 10 different tools independently. You know, they're all their own executables or, you know, packages or whatever, depending on your OS. And it's this ability to kind of 
commingle all of them into one centralized environment to accomplish all these things that used to, you know, kind of work separately from one another. And now they can kind of all happen in line in one interface. So we don't have to bounce around and kind of lose productivity that way. That's kind of how I, how I've always viewed CI. Okay. That makes sense. So instead of just uh, keeping all these things separate and, and having the user push a button, push the next button, push the other, try to keep it all together so that when you, let's say you do a, a kickoff a build, it's it's calling multiple things at the same time, testing and so forth, if I understand correctly. Absolutely. You know, and Jenkins is probably one of the most popular CI servers out there. And if you think about everything that's capable of doing, you know, it can pull from your Git repo now, and now it can then launch a build and we can evaluate the results of the build within Jenkins. We can also wire in static analysis scans, our unit tests, our functional tests, and we can expand on those and start, you know, kicking off Zap scans, or we can kick off Arachne scans. We can integrate, you know, QA test plans. We can even start deploying code out to our, you know, test dev UAT production style environments and even start running automated smoke tests against production, do some monitoring. It, it's just the, uh, the world is endless uh, on the amount of things that we can kind of integrate into this one CI type of environment. Right. So that way, like we said, you're not having to wait on all these things or perhaps they don't get done. Now they can be built into the pipeline, if you will, so that uh, especially the security tests, which I like as well, not just running unit tests, but also running or integration tests, running security tests. So uh, that kind of jumps into this idea of uh, static analysis. So, you know, many times I might run an application separately to check on my code, but tell me about static analysis as part of CI. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been, it's been around for a bit, you know, your big commercial scanners have started to roll out, you know, an IDE plugin here and there or a Jenkins integration, you know, some of them have had, you know, on the Java side, Maven and, and Ant build integration for quite a while. And it was always that, but we still have to go check the results and we need to go see what there was. And with this kind of adaption uh, or adoption of CI in the in the software engineering world, these tools are being used to build and deploy applications, whether security is on board with it or not. So it's this concept of, well, if we as security folks can start to understand the development tools that are actually being used and say, look at this huge opportunity that CI is offering us to enforce that scans are actually run and evaluate the health of those scan results. And potentially in some scenarios, if something bad enough is found, we can even fail a build and stop some vulnerability from going out to production. That's, that's kind of the goal that we set out with as we started writing some of these static analysis tools to say, let's try to stop that OWASP, top 10, you know, kind of super low hanging fruit that always seems to end up in production and then land some organization in the news. What if we could identify that the second it's committed to Git, for example, you know, that's a huge win for security in our eyes. Oh yeah, definitely. So what you're talking about is being able to, let's say, for example, catch SQL injection. Uh, You would see strings concatenated and sent into the database and catch that as something to say, hey, we can't allow that out into production. We've got to flag it. So 
that's what we're talking about with the static analysis is catching it in the code and then as part of the CI pipeline, uh, stopping that build or stopping the results of that build going out further if we have those kind of vulnerabilities. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, And that's always kind of the one that we use as an example. And, you know, I've read some articles lately that say, hey, SQL injection's going away. We've got all these ORM frameworks. And I'm not kidding you, last week in a, a shiny new Node.js application that's supposed to be <laughs> impossible to write SQL injectable code, I, you know, 10 to 15 lines into a class, look at it. Oh, there's some SQL injection because we're <laughs> calling in to some underlying, you know, Microsoft SQL Server database using this ORM framework that's got this dynamic query method that allows you to just execute arbitrary SQL statements. So it's definitely not going away. And it's the idea if you write that and if you commit that, the build health is immediately flagged as unstable and we've got to go fix that before we can push it into an environment. Right. Wow. Excellent. So in terms of uh, being able to do this within certain environments, uh, I think you've been focusing on uh, .NET, correct? Uh, with uh, the latest tools? Correct. And this kind of came about, I've worked with several organizations that are very large .NET shops and, you know, coming from my background where that was kind of all I worked in for the first three years writing software and then was kind of my niche focus within AppSec for several years just from a static analysis perspective. It's kind of always been my, uh, we'll call it my passion is just the .NET framework in general. I've followed it since the you know late 1.0 days and kind of ran into somebody who was saying, hey, have you heard of this new, you know, this new Roslyn thing? And of course, being busy with all this other stuff, I'm like, no, who's Roslyn? You know, thinking it's a person type of thing. And he's like, no, this is new, you know, .NET compiler API, and you can query all of the information that's available in the compiler. And, you know, he was talking about it from a, kind of a style checking perspective. Oh, you know, we can enforce our coding guidelines and all this stuff. And of course my evil mind slash, you know, static analysis mind is heading directly towards, wow, I bet I could find a lot of cool security problems with this using the same functionality. Yeah, definitely. I remember the same thing when I heard about Roslyn. Uh, I, I thought the same thing. Hey, how can we do this with security? Because we can do all the style checking. We can do all the, are you you're putting your semicolons in the right place or you know uh, opening and closing your braces and all that stuff great but can we check for some security issues and so that's i also thought the same thing rosin it would be a great tool to do that and so that's some of those things that you've done right you've taken some of the uh, checking the code itself checking for those particular issues and being able to uh, you know find them and and report on them. So that's essentially, uh, in a nutshell, what you're doing with Roslyn or allowing you to do. Tell us a little bit more, you know, maybe a little bit more deeper than that on what what you're doing with Roslyn today. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it kind of all started with that conversation and. Walking away from that, I went home and I Googled Roslyn, of course, and I find this MSDN article. And it's, I can't remember exactly who wrote it, but it's basically like, here's how to build your first Roslyn rule. So I read through it, checked it out. Okay, walked through. Here's the dependencies you need to install. You got to go put the compiler API and Visual Studio and all that stuff. All right. So I wrote this first rule and it found a regular expression, you know, or looked for invalid regular expressions. And I'm like, okay, that was actually pretty easy. They, you know, Visual Studio has this syntax visualizer 
it's a little side window. And as you click on a code block or a method or an object creation expression or whatever it is, it tells you exactly what type it is and what kind it is as far as what the compiler is interpreting that as, which then you can turn around and say, okay, I want to write a rule that finds all object creation expressions. And then you can say, what type is this? And what namespace does this object live in? So, you know, last week I was on a flight out to a conference and I sat there on the plane and said, you know what, I'm going to write a rule to find all instantiations of, of DES because those just, you know, maybe shouldn't be in the code anymore. And it's like, okay, find all object creation expressions. If the class name is DES crypto service provider and it lives in the system.security namespace, we'll flag it and you can raise a diagnostic and it gives you the little green squiggles in Visual Studio and then it adds a warning to, to the compiler. So you kind of get that data in two places. Number one, the engineers see it in the IDE and two, it'll show up in an MS build task as you push that out into your CI server, whether it's Jenkins or, you know, TFS or whatever, that warning is sitting there in those build results now. So you can evaluate them and, and kind of evaluate the health of your build based on how many of these things might exist. So that was my first introduction to it. And when I got this proof of concept done, I thought, oh, this might be a fun talk at, at AppSec USA to give, which this was probably about, I want to say, March of 2016. So it was right when the CFP calls were coming out for AppSec USA in D.C. last year. So I submitted an abstract and kind of sat on it. And then, of course, they picked the talk up and I said, well, all right, I need to I need to get to work here and build out, you know, some actual uh, at least some additional rules to kind of build this thing out. And that's kind of where this little Puma scan tool that we're calling it was born. So we, we've been working on this for about a year and a half, myself and another gentleman named Eric Mead. And we've probably got about 50 to 60 rules put into this open source repository at this time, just looking for all sorts of variants of cross-site scripting, SQL injection, password management, certificate validation. The crypto rules are in flight. So it's it's been a fun little side project to work on. Yeah, it looks nice. I actually uh, took a look at it myself. It's um, It looks like it runs for Visual Studio 2015 and 2017. It's been updated for 2017, looks like. Correct. Yeah, I just did that a couple weeks ago. I'm always kind of a slow adopter as as far as picking up the latest and greatest version of the IDE is, but I think they released the preview and someone <laughs> opened a Git issue pretty quick and said, hey, you need to support this thing. And I'm like, all right, everyone settle down. It's not even a, an official release candidate yet. But yeah, we just got that in there within the last month or so, I think. Okay, great, great. Uh, one thing you mentioned, uh, going back to what another thing that Roslyn does for you, which I also like, is the in-place compiler, so it's it's always telling you, hey, if, if this thing was completely compiled, because it does it in the background all the time, it's going to tell you with a warning to a, to a developer, hey, do, are you sure you want to use this? Is this the right thing in this place? And so I like that in-place code information for developers. So it's not just at the end when you run the scan to tell them that there's a problem. But as they're writing the code, if they're watching for those things, and I know for myself for years I've used tools like ReSharper and others that will tell me, hey, this is what's going on in the code. Here's a problem. You may need to think about it differently and so on. 
uh, with a tool like this or, or using Roslyn, uh, you can tell a developer, hey, there are some security issues in your decisions that you're making right now that you can can change before it even gets to the point of a build, before it even gets to a point of a CI integration. Absolutely, and, and I consider that to honestly be the, the biggest strength of this mechanism. If you think about a lot of the other commercial scanners, it's a, okay, right-click on the solution and go scan this thing, and then it you might get the results back an hour or two later, which any software engineer has already committed the code and moved on to their next you know backlog ticket at that point. They've already kind of forgotten the context around what they've written, and they've moved on to the next thing. This is an instantaneous feedback. And if you talk to really any kind of secure DevOps person out there, this is the absolute earliest that we can wire security into an application is the second they write it, bam, they've got this feedback that says that was not actually a very secure line of code. We should maybe consider doing it this way. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's a great win, uh, especially for developers who um, are you know aware of that or using it. And, uh, you know, it just gives them that, that extra help if they need it as they go along and try to understand, you know, the, to make the right decisions, really. So I like that. Right now, it's just a .NET tool. Uh, do you know of others that are similar for other environments, frameworks, Java, and so on out there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... The whole reason I kind of wanted this, and so I have at the end of these training sessions I do on the last day, it, we've got this static analysis section, and there's this slide that says, hey, here's your free and open source versions of, of .NET security scanners. And the slide was always pretty bare. You know, is FXCOP is, has a couple of security rules, and Sonar's got a couple of security rules, and you know, we've had cat.net that kind of got pushed out there in, in 2009, but honestly hasn't been updated since then. So it was always these, there's a few things, but they're not really that good. And it always kind of irritated me because Java's got fine security bugs that's, that's pretty well maintained. And that plugs into security bugs in Java. And it does a pretty good job of finding, you know, 80-ish bug patterns. And, and Ruby's got Breakman that's maintained by Justin Collins. And so there's all these other platforms that have decent ones, and it just kind of always irritated me that .NET didn't have a good one. So that was really the my driving motivation for kind of filling that hole and giving us something to use without spending the big bucks on the commercial tools. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, just to kind of wrap up a, a little bit, a couple more things. Um, so let's say a company doesn't have this in place. They don't have continuous integration. They don't have anything – you know, what, what, where would they get started? What, what should they be thinking about if they want to start doing these kinds of things uh, and put these kinds of things in place in their own build pipeline and, and production release of code? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a – it's always baby steps at this point. You know, in, in a lot of organizations, some of the smaller to medium-sized companies that we work with, this is the exact scenario that, that we often find them in, and I'm sure you've experienced kind of the same thing. So, you know, it, specifically with this scanner, if you're writing .NET code, this installation is as easy as possible. It's honestly, you can download a Visix file and just double click on it and install it in your desktop. Or you can install the NuGet package into each project or the solution itself. And then that will uh, guarantee that these analyzers live with that project for forever, essentially. So if you're scaling this across 10 different workstations, 
all of those analyzers will always run in every single IDE they're presented in. So from a static analysis perspective, that's about as easy as it gets. And that's probably a really good place to start if you've got absolutely nothing going on, because that will at least ensure that those results are being presented to the people that are the closest to the code base, which I think is always very important from a security perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe the step two might be getting your security folks involved. And, and if you don't have a build pipeline, it's, it's setting something like that up. You know, we've, we've used Jenkins almost primarily. I've seen a lot of TFS instances, but there of course are other options out there. And then it's at that point, let's start getting nightly builds going through some sort of a pipeline and they don't even have to do security to start with. But once we get that in place, then it offers a huge opportunity for application security to look for out-of-date dependencies, do static scanning, dynamic scanning. It's really kind of, uh, it opens up the world of security if you can at least get that pipeline in place. So in terms of getting security people involved, then uh, they could be working with developers, working with with teams, helping them understand how the tool could be installed pretty easy how to get that uh, integrated into their CI pipeline if they have one or if they don't have one, how they can maybe uh, think about putting that in place and have these kinds of security scans happening for for their code before it goes to production. Uh, It sounds like some ways to get involved. Absolutely, and you nailed it with security should be sitting with the software engineers during a lot of this process anyway. You know, if we just kind of did that on a weekly basis, I think a lot of things would probably be caught earlier in the process rather than after we've pushed it to production. But, you know, it's something as simple as creating our security, you know, user stories uh, or abuse cases and burning those into unit and functional tests would offer a tremendous amount of security that doesn't take place today. Okay, excellent. Well, Eric, um, I wondered if you have any other uh, last comments about, uh, you know, for groups that are trying to understand better how to write secure code, how to make sure it's secure, things like that. Any other comments or thoughts? Um, I mean, the easiest one is honestly, it's just, it's, it's awareness. So, you know, just if, if it's something you're interested in, dive in and, and do weekly lunch and learns or something within your organization. That's, that's kind of the easiest way to raise that sort of awareness to all of the folks working around you is just to kind of just dive in, take that on. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, you should always be learning something new anyway. I do every week. I see something I haven't seen before. So it's kind of that don't be afraid type of deal and and just go out and, and try to disseminate the information as much as you can. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I like that idea. Don't be afraid to fail. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, we all do, whether we want to admit to it or not. That's for sure. All right, Eric, well, we thank you again and appreciate you being with us this week. And uh, thanks again. Sure thing. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Boring and TJ. And the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.